Hello, and welcome to Fantastic Comic Fan, a short-form comic book podcast where my goal is to help you find that next fantastic read or discover an old favorite. I cover comics from the golden age to now, indies, and Kickstarter campaigns. You never know what I might cover, but you will know where to find fantastic comics to read at the end of each episode. It's Thursday, September 29, 2022, and I'm very excited to present to you episode 75 and the very first anniversary of the podcast. Yep, one year ago today, I started the podcast. Now, I've had to do some wonky scheduling on my end of things. I really wanted to line up the first anniversary with the 75th episode. Kind of tongue-in-cheek because in the past, much more so in the past than now, Comic book companies made a big thing of the 200th, 100th, 125th, whatever incremental 25 it was. So I wanted to line up the 75th with the first anniversary to have a little bit of fun. And as regular listeners know, I've had a very crazy work schedule and it's been very difficult to manage the podcast in real life. So I wasn't real certain I was going to pull this one off, but I did. I have a very special guest on today. Before I tell you about the guest, let me tell you a little bit about the backstory on me getting this guest. I often DM people, email people about appearing on the podcast. I'm always looking for guests. Well, back in the spring, I was putting out these feelers. And then my life imploded in June and I got this big job. And life just completely went down the drain. No complaints. I love my job. But it went from a 40-hour work week to a 55-plus work week, five days a week. I had no life. I was barely getting the podcast out on time. So I was going back and trying to clean up the mess because I believe that once I commit to something, I need to go and follow through. So I came across this particular person, apologized to them, and they agreed to be on the podcast. And I had no idea who this person was until I started doing the research and the little lights went off in my head. So today's special guest is Gary Carlson. He is the publisher of Bing Bang Comics. He's been around for decades. He is also considered the grandfather of image comic books. And as I'm putting this together, I'm getting ready to tape this. I'm telling people, hey, this is what I got. Oh, that's a great catch. That's a really good interview. It's going to be great. I'm like, you're not helping with the anxiety. Gary turned out to be an excellent person to interview. We had so much fun. I think this is one of the best episodes I did. And I also divided up into three parts. Today is Gary talking about his writing career. Second part should be out tomorrow. He'll be talking about Big Bang comic books. And then the third one's kind of like what's going on forward. Again, it's Gary Carlson. Check out the interview. It's very fun. He was a gentleman. I'm so pleased to snag this guy. I'm just beyond words. If you don't know exactly who Gary Carlson is, a lot of newer fans don't. Google the man. He is a legendary, iconic figure. I am so lucky again to have him. Let's get on today's episode. If you like what you hear, I hope you do. Spread the word. Tell people about the podcast. Look at the link notes. Follow the podcast on different social media. I want this comic podcast to continue to grow and have people discover a new way to read and find out comic books they wouldn't normally read. So let's get on to today's episode. Welcome back to Fantastic Comic Fan Podcast. Today, I have a very special guest. 
We have Gary Carlson on the podcast. Before I talk about Gary himself, Gary, you've been in comic books for a long time. What was your origin story? And I can see on the background that your whole back wall is filled with graphic novels and collections and stuff. So how did you get into comic books growing up? I think I started in kindergarten, possibly earlier than that. My brother, my older brother was three years older than me and he was reading comics by third grade and he introduced me to it. He, he let me read some of his and we used to, you know, the good old days. I mean, this is back in like 62. We used to ride our bikes about, I don't know, 10, 11 blocks up and over, over a busy main street of town to go to the grocery store to buy, you know, 10 and 12 cent comics. And uh, it was just exciting all the way around. And then we, not long after that, we got involved in kind of trading comics with some of his friends. So yeah, I've been doing it since, since kindergarten. I know somewhere there's pictures that I drew in kindergarten of Superman and the Flash and stuff. So, so my guest has been collecting comic books since the dawn of the Silver Age. So <laughs> um, yeah, maybe buying comics, you know, I've never been a super duper collector as far as bagging them and buy you know, I do have box them because that's the easiest way to keep them. But what was your favorite comics growing up? Well, early on, it was Superman and Batman were the main ones. And those were classic times, the early 60s. And all the annuals were reprinting stuff from the 50s, you know, fun, fun, fun stuff. I mean, a little bit later, I mean, I got into the, the Teen Titans and Legion of Superheroes meant a lot to me growing up. I was, you know, a kid and they were kids and teenagers and whatever. So those were my favorite. And then they're ones that I've kind of followed over the years. You know, they, they, I would have to say they still rank among my favorites. So, so I know who you are. And a lot of the longtime fans know who you are. But for somebody who's kind of like new into comic books, give us a little biography of what you've done in the comic industry. Some of oh, your achievements, sure. please. All righty. Well, in the 80s, I started uh, writing and publishing my own book called Megaton. I, there were only eight issues of that, plus a couple issues of, of some other stuff that we printed, like Ram and, and Wild Man and Rubber Roy and, and a couple of promos and that. And then, yeah, like I said, it took me five or six years to get out <laughs> eight issues, just when we thought we were turning the corner getting ready to do a lot of stuff and a lot of stuff right. I mean, the, the, that was in, in 1987 or so, you know, they call it the, the, the black and white implosion where they're, you know, when I started, there were only a handful of, of independent books. And by the end of, by the end of, you know, the, the end of the eighties, there was uh, hundreds yes. of, of indie books solicited and, you know, a lot of them never came out, but geez, there was, you know, hundreds and hundreds of them in a month. And it was, it was hard to get, to get attention and, and have people know you were doing stuff. And, you know, we did a little bit of advertising in the, the CBG Comics Buyer's Guide and Comics Interview on that, but just the sales were, were dropping, dropping, dropping. And so I took a couple of years off. I mean, I, at the same time, I'd been working full time and pretty much doing comics publishing and getting stuff done full-time and uh took a couple years off and then uh in the early 90s a couple of the guys that had done work in the megaton books 
had gotten famous and uh like who <laughs> oh eric larson who's that again yes yeah eric larson he's a he's a guy some people know who he is <laughs> his savage dragon one of the early appearances was in megaton and another one was rob liefeld and we were actually supposed to publish a young blood book in 87 and uh we solicited that and got orders for like two or 300 copies, I think. And I thought, man, if we can't sell copies of this book, then nothing's going to sell. So took some time off, you know? I mean, other guys, Angel Medina was in there, Dan Reed, uh, the first issue. I mean, Butch Geis, Jackson Geis did a story in the first one, right, you know, before he launched himself. I don't know, any other number of guys, fun time. But then, like I said, in the 90s, Rob and Eric were, were part of the group that formed Image Comics. And Rob took a stack of the, the Megaton Explosion, a color promo who's who book that we had done that had Youngblood in the center of it to use it as a promo. And, and because, like I said, Dragon and Youngblood first showed up in Megaton, Rob, somewhere along the line, called me the grandfather of Image Comics. Yeah, why did you, why did you get that nickname as grandfather of Image Comics? You're not that old, so I don't, you know. <laughs> I am now. I'm 65 now. But yeah, that was it. The grand, Just because, you know, their kids showed up in the Megaton books in the 80s. And then 10 years later, they were two of the main six or seven books at Image. It's just something that has stuck, you know. And then... I was hot again for a little while and people were interested in, was there any Megaton stuff? Was there any this or that? And uh, we printed an issue that had been almost finished. I mean, that was printed, I think, by Entity, by Don Chin, the, the Megaton Christmas special. And then I signed a deal with someone else to do, uh, was going to do a Vanguard book there and ended up doing that an image for Eric with Eric and so did another character of mine called Berserker and we did that there and then in the backup ground backups for there we did some retro-y stuff that we called ended up calling Big Bang Comics that eventually overtook that whole book and I've been doing that for 30 years now. So, so your Big Bang Comics originally started at Image were you like one of the first separate imprints that were part of the image? No, I, I really wasn't a separate uh, imprint. We were at Caliber Press and the first five issues, zero through four, uh, were put out as Megaton Comics, but then we ran into some difficulties there at Caliber and left and Eric offered us the chance to come to Image. But I mean, for the most part, we were printed under Eric's Highbrow Studios name there. I mean, it said, you know, Big Bang Comics uh, on the fronts, but that's pretty much how that, that's how we ended up at Image. And we ended up doing, I think, 35 issues there and another 10 specials, I think. So. So what made you decide to write comic books yourself? Yeah, I just loved them, you know, reading them from kindergarten on, they made a big impression on me. So I think when I read the Jim Shooter started at dc when he was a teenager 14 yep i think 15, that, 14 that got me under i thought man if, if if he can do it then maybe anybody can do it and i started doing comics that way the same way i mean writing the story and drawing uh, you know layouts and stuff and i i had sent a couple of those off to dc and they weren't <laughs> they weren't overly <laughs> interested you know and i did other comics just for myself and my friends over the years, you know, come uh, 75, I graduated from high school and 
went to junior college for two years. While I was there, I took classes down in Chicago at the, uh, what was it, the American Academy of Fine Arts. I took just cartooning classes there. And that, that was very fun and very interesting. And I met some interesting people there. And then I took a, two years off after I got my uh, associate's degree from the community college and started working. And after a year of working, I thought, I don't want to be doing this for the rest of my life. So in between, I had been working on comic strips. I met my buddy, Chris Ecker, and we created, I don't know, three or four or five comic strips. And one of them almost sold. The LA Times syndicate held it and two other ones, they asked for more and we sent more. And at this point, I had been back to college at Columbia College in Chicago. I started off in animation, but it took up so much time for a guy that was working full time at the same time. I backed off to just illustration and drawing. And by the time the LA Times was holding our strip, I had, well, I had just pretty much graduated and, and I had won a scholarship for political cartooning. They, they wanted to give it to a political cartoonist and I was the closest they had. I had done some political cartooning. So at that point I went on, they created a master's program for me and I was a year and a half into it. And all I really had left to do was finish up and they wanted to do a show and whatever, but the syndicate was holding the strips and wanted more. So I took the last semester off, told them I was going to take a break. And then then the syndicate passed on it. That was a little bit, <laughs> you get your hopes way up and it, and it didn't turn out. So uh, they, I mean, they also passed on one or two other strips that ended up getting syndicated somewhere else. They ended up doing the Lone Ranger comic strip. Now they passed on us and I, I was just bummed and Chris was kind of bummed. So I just said, okay, I'm going to try comic books. And it was, that's how I started thinking about doing comic books. So when you did Big Bang at Image, how was the buzz and how did you guys actually promote it back then? Then when there was no internet, no social media marketing, how did you make Big Bang stand out at the time? Oh, that's a good one. I don't know that we did, you know. Again, part of what helped, I was doing a book, Vanguard, a character Eric Larson and I had created. And, uh, and Eric was a fan of the Big Bang stuff. I mean, Big Bang, Big Bang was retro stuff. I mean, like I said, when Chris and I, Chris Ecker and I stopped doing the comic strips, we decided to do some comic books. I mean, Caliber, you know, had us do, had me do Berserker. And for a backup, Chris said, I'm tired of all the art directors telling me I draw like an old guy. I'm going to draw an old comic book story and you're going to write it. So we were at a, a local show and he, he said, we're not leaving until the story's written. So we plotted out a story and he drew it up. It was a character that it, it started off to be kind of a uh, daredevil type character. Chris is much more of a Marvel guy than me. But when the art started coming together, we went through a couple of names and he said, how about the Night Watchman? And I, I said, you know, if we had a K to that and make it the Night Watchman, then it's kind of a, a Batman thing, and then your stuff looks like classic Batman stuff. And that, that's where it started with the one story, The Night Watchman. Again, we were at Caliber here, and we told them, we, th we think we've got something. And they were like, nah, nobody cares about this old retro stuff. So we did three or four uh, backup stories in Berserker. The second one was a Superman type called Ultiman, and, and then... Uh, I forget what the, I think one of them might have been a Dr. Weird story. And, and, and it just, 
like I said, it, it caught on. All the, the we told the readers, oh, this is some stuff from a small publisher that you know we were just playing, and people believed it and wanted to see more. And and in the meantime, Alan Moore had started doing 1963, and all of a sudden, retro was when, in. When you were doing Big Bang Comics, correct me if I'm wrong, but you were able to work with some iconic silver and golden age creators. Was that true? Oh, that's true. We we worked with some of them. Uh, Shelly Moldoff, Chris knew him. Shelly had worked on Green Lantern, or no, Shelly was a, the Batman. Uh, Bob Kane's, he wasn't really an assistant. I mean, he ghosted for, for Bob. And uh, uh, we were doing comic conventions at the time, and he would show up at the shows with his wife, and we got along real well with them. So he was kind enough to do a, you know, a cover or two. And uh, we went, you know, I mean, other people came and went. I mean, actually, Murphy Anderson, his company was doing the color separations for us on the first batch of books. And that evolved into working on having a cover penciled by Kurt Swan and that he inked, which was just tremendous, you know. And, uh, kind of like a fanboy dream come true for somebody that grew up during the Silver Age and even appreciating yeah. these silver and golden age creators. Yeah, that's it. I mean, so it was that kind of stuff. Some of the older guys we met at the shows, there were other guys that, that came along later on that I got a chance to, to do a, a cover, have Dave Cockrum do a cover for me. And, and that was so cool. I mean, you know, my all-time Legion of Superheroes artist you know and then uh later on rich buckler did a few things and he was doing stuff i think we ran some ads with him and ran a preview of something he was doing so yeah it was a lot of fun do you think that these silver and golden age artists and creators get as much attention today as they should and for a new reader who's just getting into like the, the comic books now why should they go back and look at some of these older comic books like the Golden Age and Silver Age and some of these creators? You know, just kind of to see where it came from. I, uh, like I said, I grew up on that stuff in the 60s. I picked up Steranko's Histories of Comics books and the, uh, the Great Comic Book Heroes book that it w was probably my first one where it actually reprinted some of the Golden Age stories because I wasn't real familiar with them. And I picked up a couple of books from the library and uh, and those were mostly about comic strips, although they did have a chapter on Superman and, and whatever. And it just, it was exciting to see how these guys got into it. Now, some of them got screwed over. And I mean, that's what worked for me, you know, as far as anybody these days, I mean, I think uh, Jack Kirby still gets a ton of press and Neil Adams, who just passed, I mean, he, you know, was a, a king. But yeah, I think it's like anything else. It's like movie stars from the 40s. There's a couple of them that maybe everybody knows a little bit, maybe Clark Gable, you know, maybe, uh, I don't know, but uh, the rest of them just kind of fade, except for people that really follow and get into that stuff. Let's go to the present. What do you think about the comic book industry as it is today? I don't. <laughs> I'm not a, <laughs> not a big fan. Like I said, I every so often pick up Superman stuff or, or some Batman stuff or Teen Titans and Legion of Superheroes, but it doesn't necessarily grab me. A lot of the stuff strikes me too much like they're trying to do a movie. I mean, the, the DC movies were all too dark for me and 
and then just not not enough fun there was some fun in there but the comic books geez you know they run 10 12 issues and if you're not following you don't know what's going on and uh yeah they just lost me quite a while ago i'm yeah i'm an old man and one of them old guys now i try i mean i the one guy i follow i've followed for all these years is eric larson if he doesn't I, I love his work i did from the very start when we worked in Megaton number one. He's a great writer and a, a great artist and all that. And a, a, a good friend. We're not super tight, but I mean, I, you know, he's, I consider him a good friend and, and I, I just, I love reading his books. So that, if he puts something out, I get it. My old buddy, Dan Reed, he's self-publishing these days with the Dimensioneer and some other stuff. And again, I love his stuff. He, he's got a classic, I feel it like a Marvel feel. He's not doing it retro like we try to do to make it look and read like that. But I mean, it's in his it's in his soul and it's in his style. So I mean, him, I, I pick up stuff. I mean, otherwise, if I know one of the guys I worked with is doing something, I'll try to find it. You also wrote a arc of Aquaman for DC Comics back in the 90s. How did that one come about? Well, I was doing some research. And I'm like, oh, oh. Look at this. Yeah. No, that came about because of Eric. I mean, any the writing I did at Marvel and DC was because of Eric. I think in the what was it, the 90s or something, he was just trying to expand. And I, I don't know if it was to get his name recognition up or if he just wanted. I didn't even I didn't even know he wrote Aquaman after Peter David left and, and yeah. And were you like a were you like the co-writer or how did that work with you two? Yeah, I was a co-writer with him on some issues of Aquaman, uh, some issues of Nova. He started me off on Nova, but even he realized I was much more of a DC guy and would work better on Aquaman. So I switched over from Nova to Aquaman. And yeah, I mean, I he'd send me a plot and I'd. I'd expand it and write it out. I tried not to go too far from anything he had done. And, and it was it was fun. Would you ever like think about going back to doing some more work for like DC or Marvel? I, I don't really think about it. If they came to me, I would think about it and, and possibly do it. It depends. You know, back then it was tough time. Eric was doing, geez, he was doing Savage Dragon plus these three or four other books. And generally, I mean, at least with Aquaman, that was the one that was farthest ahead of the schedule. And then, you know, DC wanted to get it farther ahead, but I told him, I said, this is Eric's book and I'm waiting for him. And, but they were still leaning on me and that. So it was kind of a relief when that <laughs> died out, you know, and not having the editors, a lot of the editors wanted to be writers. So you'd send in ideas and they're like, why don't you do this? And why don't you do that? And tell my story for me. And, you know, wasn't always getting to tell my own stories. So time I thought you know I'm just going to stick to doing my own characters and doing what I want and Gary before we wrap this brief segment up on you and your writing career is there any finding words that you want to talk about or anything you want to draw attention to you and your writing stuff no I, I just want to mention you know at, at the same time thanks to Eric I mean in the 90s I wrote a number of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles books when they they left you know, Mirage stopped publishing they had Eric had just started the Turtles in, in a dragon and they kind of wanted him. They were hoping he would do this new series. And he told them, I don't have, I can't do that. I'm already doing a, a, a nearly monthly book, you know? So he, he told them, you know, he checked, he asked if I'd want to write it. And my buddy, Frank Fosco, who was also at Megaton, 
And uh, we did what, 23 issues of that for Image. And just in the past couple of years, IDW reprinted them in color and had us do a couple of new issues to uh, tie up all the loose ends of the story because it just kind of ended back then. I mean, and, and, and I would say that's the one that I, every so often I'll run across people that are familiar with that. It wasn't real popular back in the 90s because it was so different from the IDW stuff and so different from the TV and movies. I mean, all we were really doing was trying to make it like the early Eastman and Laird issues, which were kind of based on Frank Miller's Daredevil and Ronin and stuff. So, and it, over time now, people are, are a little bit more into what we are doing and not just thinking, oh, they're doing all this violence and Marvel style. We weren't trying to do Marvel style stuff. We were just trying to make good comics. Yeah, pretty much. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. I hope you stick around for future episodes. If you like this podcast, please spread the word. Recommend it to comic fans. With this episode, I've added a link tree to the show notes, allowing you easy access to the comic fan podcast, platforms, and social media accounts. Please follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram. I want the podcast to grow and introduce fans to a different way of covering comic books. Again, thanks so much for listening. See you next time.